Well, anyway, it's good to be here with you this morning. I'm excited for today's service. Um, here we are. It's the first week of November, and I'm starting my Christmas series. Some of you are probably wondering, hey, wait a minute, we haven't got Thanksgiving in there. We'll, we'll get to Thanksgiving, but the thing is, I need seven good, solid weeks to really give my Christmas message this year. So we're starting early. So I'm, I'm excited for this series, um, and it seems like a really good conclusion after a year that we've really focused on spiritual gifts and spiritual formation as well as spiritual conflict. And so it's a great timing, I think, of the series to start talking about desires. So we talk about Christmas, usually one question quickly rises to the surface. And that question is, what do you want for Christmas? It's kind of a loaded question. Like when you're a kid, you remember that, like making your Christmas list. That was always fun. It was always exciting. But there's always that challenging part of your Christmas list. You didn't want to seem too, guilt, too greedy. So you kind of had to like, kind of like decide what you're really going to put on there. But this year for Christmas, I think it would be smart for us to ask a different question. Instead of asking people what you want for Christmas, I think we need to be asking God, what do you want to give me for Christmas? I think we need to be in that posture before God and say, what do you want to give me for Christmas? I think it kind of seems like a little presumptuous to assume that God wants to give us a gift. And I think sometimes it seems like it's not really good etiquette to assume that God wants to give us a gift. But when you really think about it, Christmas is really a celebration that God is a giver of gifts. Christmas is a really a sober reminder that not only does God give good gifts, but it's a reminder to us that some people actually reject the gift that God gives to them. And it's not entirely possible, and it's not entirely not possible, that we could reject something that God actually wants to give us. So I think Christmas is that annual reminder that we always need to be in a posture before God and say, you are a very generous, good father who desires to give good gifts, and we need to that, be in that posture to say, I want to receive all that you have for me. See, the real drive behind this series is that God wants to continue to bless each and every one of us, that God wants to bless us with some incredible gifts, See, the good news of the gospel is that God is a good father, as we sang a minute ago, but he's also a God that never stops giving good gifts. And he wants to give us the gift that we desire most. God's a good giver. He knows what we need the most. So the interesting thing about God, he knows what we need the most, so not only does he have to provide the gift, but he has to help us understand the gift that we need the most. So God is busy giving us gifts like spiritual gifts. He gives us grace. He gives us faith. He gives us salvation. He gives us Jesus. But he also gives us a desire. Mike Bickle has said that one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is a desire to know him. Without God planting desires in each of us, we would never pursue anything of God. So Christmas is that annual reminder that we need to be in a posture of obedience before God and say, what do you want to give me this year? See, I love the book of Ephesians, and in the first verse, or the third verse, fourth verse of Ephesians number one, there is, a, uh, there is another promise of two gifts that God wants to give us. And I think these are the gifts that God wants to give each of us this Christmas. Ephesians 1, I love this translation, the message, when it says, Long before God laid the foundations of the earth, he had us in mind. 
And he settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. That's a powerful verse there of what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. That God decided before the world was created, before we were even born, God decided that you and I would be the focus of his love. And how he would pour out his love to us is that he would make us whole and he would make us holy. To be made whole is to be restored to what God intended for us to be. To be made whole means that God takes all the broken and the shattered pieces of our life and he puts them back together again. That's what God wants to do in your life. But not only that, but God wants to make you holy. He wants to set you apart. And that is a beautiful promise because what God says I want you to be set apart from, I want you to be set apart from guilt. I want you to be set apart from blame. I want you to be set apart from that feeling that you're inadequate, that you don't measure up. And that's God's promise to us, to give us this peace and assurance that he is not only going to make us whole, but he's going to take our guilt and our shame away from us. That's a beautiful promise. See, God's desire to make us holy extends beyond just something that's going to make us feel good about ourselves. But God wants to make us holy because he wants to be He wants us to be his instruments to bring wholeness to other people. So the promise of what God wants to do for us is so that we can actually help other people. So we're coming to this time of year where I think it's important for us to be in a posture before God and say, what gifts do you want to give to us? And to recognize that in Ephesians, God says, these are two gifts I want to give to you. That God is constantly pouring out on us wholeness and holiness. And I actually believe with certainty that God wants to visit each of us as individuals and as a community with a greater level of awareness of our wholeness as well as our holiness. See, I do understand that, you know, transformation and sanctification is a process. But there are certain times and certain events that you come into your life where there is an acceleration of the wholeness that God wants to bring to you. There's an acceleration of the holiness that God wants to bring. And I think we're entering into that as a community as we enter into these seven, eight weeks before Christmas. We look in Scripture and we see that there are times of acceleration. We look at Peter in the book of John. In John chapter 20, Peter comes, Peter's out fishing on a boat. It's a week after Peter had denied Jesus. He's on the boat. He's pretty much given up on himself. He's frustrated that he denied Jesus three times. And what does Jesus do? He sets up a breakfast on the beach. And he calls Peter to get off the boat. He meets Peter on the beach, and God, pour, Jesus pours out his heart to Peter, and there's this huge reconciliation. That Jesus encounters Peter at the most, one of the most broken parts of his life. In a matter of weeks, Peter goes from being a guy who wants to give up to a guy that stands before thousands and thousands of people, and he preaches the word of God in one of the most beautiful sermons in the Bible, and thousands of people respond to him. That's what happens when Jesus encounters you. That you can go through a huge transformation in a quick amount of time. I do think transformation is a long process, but there are times of acceleration. And I do believe that we are entering into a season of acceleration that people here will receive in a season of acceleration in your wholeness and holiness. I think we need to expect to see God pour out his goodness on us. I think we need to expect, have a big expectation for this time of year. 
Not just expect a season where you gain more information by coming to church or you gain more knowledge, but you should expect to be like Peter where you would encounter Jesus in a supernatural way that would change the course of your life. I can say that with confidence. I believe God wants to do that in each of us and as a community, that he wants to accelerate our growth. But we, need to understand that the, but we need to understand the desires that God puts in each of our hearts. And we need to be committed to having the desires that God put in our heart met in a healthy way instead of looking in the wrong places. So the next seven weeks, I want to talk about the desires that God puts in our hearts. So I want to back up a little bit to last week's message. Last week, we looked at the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and 4, and we looked at the Israelites who got out of Egypt. Here, this whole generation of Israelites got out of Egypt. They got rescued out of Egypt. But also, this generation missed getting into the promised land. They received salvation. They received deliverance. But they never experienced being made whole and never experienced holiness. For the simple reason that they lacked the faith to believe that God could get them out of one situation and bring them into the situation that they desired. It was all because of their lack of faith. Their lack of faith did something to them that could easily happen to each and every one of us. And that is their lack of faith deceived them into believing that God did not have the ability or the power or the love to get them into the promised land that they really wanted to go into. And their lack of faith taught them to settle for captivity. Instead of desiring to go into the promised land, this group of Israelites actually desired to go back to captivity. That's remarkable. God gets them out of captivity and they actually want to go back. See, every time we sin, it's kind of an indication that we actually prefer captivity. See, that's the reason that God doesn't like sin. God doesn't like sin because he's mad at you when he commits sin. God hates sin because it prohibits us from experiencing all that he has for us. See, often when we think of sin, we think of a list of what you can do and what you can't do, and there's some truth to that. But when the Bible wants you to understand that sin is a whole lot deeper than your external behavior, sin is actually an issue of the heart. Sin is about your heart not actually being satisfied with God alone, so you got to look for something else to bring satisfaction to you. Some people define sin as um, it's thinking that God's not meeting your needs, so you have to look someplace else to get your needs met. Some people say sin is just a way that you can cope with some of your issues in your life. That's why sin is always referred to as a condition of the heart. The Bible actually talks over, there's a thousand different references literally 1,000 different references in the Bible about sin being a heart issue. I think sometimes we wonder, how is sin a heart issue? Listen to this quote by Anthony Hukamo. He says, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's referring to that spiritual part of us where our emotions and our desires dwell. So when the Bible talks about your heart, you can substitute the word desires. That's why the Bible says pay, says pay a lot of attention to your heart or pay a lot of attention to your desires. In Proverbs 4, it says, above all else, guard your heart or guard your desires for it's a wellspring of life. Your desires can lead you into good areas or in Mark 7, it says, for it is not from within out of a person's desires that evil thoughts come. Your desires can lead you in good places or very bad places. I think when the Bible talks about the heart, 
You think of the organ that's at the core of your body that pumps blood to the rest of your body. The human body cannot survive without your heart. You take away your heart, you take away your life. And the condition of your heart will actually indicate the condition of the rest of your body. If your heart is healthy, the rest of you will be able to pump blood efficiently to the rest of your body. But if your heart's not doing very good, you're not going to be very healthy. It's the same way with your desires. You cannot live without your desires. If you fail to have desires, you fail to exist. You fail to live. And the condition of your desires actually influences every single part of your body as well. That's why the scripture talks so much about guarding your desires. See, our biggest problem is not sin. Our biggest problem is not lying or cheating or manipulating or doing anything that is not moral. Instead, our biggest problem is not understanding how our desires are actually met or taken care of. See, every single person struggles with how to get your desires met. And that can actually be very frustrating. I think that's one of the most frustrating parts of raising our oldest son, Nicholas, who's home with a caregiver. As some of, all of you know that Nick is uh, 24 and he has severe autism. He's basically nonverbal. He has maybe 10 or 20 sort of words that are hard to understand. And it's hard to be Nick because he has desires like all of us have, but he's not able to articulate them. So most of our life with Nick is just a guessing game. He may say an approximation of a word that we don't understand, and so we're there kind of guessing, like, what do you want? And so we're always just handing him things like, is this it? Is this it? And his frustration will continue to grow because he's saying what he wants, but we don't understand it. And at the end of the day, he gets extremely frustrated, and we get frustrated because nobody knows actually what he wants. And some of us feel that way. We feel so frustrated because we know we want something, but we can't get it. And that's why Thomas Merton, the famous theologian, says, our lives are shaped by the things we desire. We're shaped by our desires. And if you don't get your desires met, it can be so incredibly frustrating. See, the truth is what we really want, what we really desire is an extremely complicated answer. It's a very hard question to answer because sometimes we really don't know what we want. So I find it interesting in the book of John when Jesus' first question recorded in the Bible, Jesus looks at two of John the Baptist's disciples and he looks at them and says, what do you want? In other words, why are you following me? It's a brilliant question that Jesus would ask an early follower of why are you following me? And I think Jesus asked each of us to consider that question, why are you following Jesus? Why are you here today? What are you looking for? Jesus asks us that because he wants to know, what do you really want out of life? What do you want out of your relationship with Jesus? Or another reason that he would say, what do you want? He would say, what really hurts right now in your life? See, a lot of people, they follow Jesus because they have a hurt or a pain that they're looking for Jesus to take care of or to heal. So when Jesus says, what do you want? It's like another way to say, what hurts? See, when you search through and you try to answer that question of what do you really want, we have to get beyond that quick answer of I want a new house or I want a new car or new socks. I like socks. Or chocolate cake. We have to sit with those questions and sometimes you can get to the core of what do you really want. We can begin to discover what we all really want is we want to be loved. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be valued. We want to be appreciated. We want to be accepted. 
We want people to understand us. We refer to these as core longings or core needs that we have. Some people talk about you all have, people have seven core needs. Some people say you have 12 core needs or 14. It really doesn't matter how many or how you categorize them. The point is we all have deep desires in our heart that were placed there by God that he desires to meet. Basically, our desires, our longings or persistent cravings that God has put in our heart that only he can meet for us. See, in various places of the Bible, it will talk about how God wants to meet your desires. We look in Psalm 145, in verse 19, it says, God grants the desires of those who fear him. Another way to say it is God grants the desires of people that come to him. It's a pretty powerful verse. The second line is, he hears their cries for help and he rescues them. That's a pretty powerful verse when you're going through a difficult time, that God hears your cry, he comes to help you and to rescue you, and he wants to give you the desires that you have. In verse 16, it says, God opens his hand and he can satisfy the desire of every living thing. See, our desires that we have are not weaknesses like friendship. They're actually part of the way that God created us. And God will use these desires to draw us into a deeper relationship with him. It's interesting, this whole concept of God meeting desires and the whole concept of there's always a desire underneath your behavior was actually developed in the 1970s and 80s. Prior to the 70s and 80s, the idea that your behavior was influenced by an external force was kind of new. People really didn't talk about that. The concept of, of desires was actually developed by Dr. Virginia Satir, who has became known as one of the leading family and marriage therapists in the world. She was the one who first came up with a quote that says, your problem is never your problem. Instead, your problem is just an invitation to look deeper at really what is going on in your life. She's the one who would say, your problem is not your problem. Your problem is your coping mechanism. Back in the 70s and 80s, that was kind of a radical thought to say that there was some external force that was contributing to it. I think it's always fun when you see a, a proven fact in psychology that people research and they study to say, yeah, this is true, actually is supported by the Bible. I mean, it's kind of fun to see. And then sometimes, then we kind of really believe it when psychology says it's true. But this was an incredible, incredible contribution to the church to believe that our behaviors are actually influenced by something other than just our random behavior. I think this has actually allowed the church to actually believe, you know what, maybe the supernatural is real. Maybe demonic, maybe deliverance is actually true because there are oftentimes external forces that contribute to your behavior. So now it's pretty common knowledge and a person does something, they have unwanted behaviors, that you sit back now and say, okay, why did you do that? What's going on? What's behind the surface? It seems kind of common knowledge. It seems pretty, yeah, I understand that. Until it's your behavior that comes on the question. And then it's suddenly, no, I don't, I don't think there's anything contributing to that. that. That was just a little whoopsie that I did. And I think part of Christmas is understanding where our desire's gone wrong, where we're looking for something that we shouldn't, or what's really bothering us. See, this is important that we need to all understand, is that every single desire that we have was designed to be met by God and by healthy friendships. And when those desires are met, we live the most fulfilling and wonderful life. We have to have our desires met by God and by healthy friendships, or we'll never be satisfied. We'll always be looking. 
As I said last week, we no longer live in Eden. We no longer live in the garden where God is there to meet in each and every one of our needs. Instead, we live in a fallen world. So instead of it feeling accepted, we often feel rejection. Instead of feeling secure, we feel insecure. Rather than feeling affirmed, we feel pretty much defeated. We're wired to have these longings met. See, our unwanted behavior is not random. They're indicators that we're looking for something in the wrong places. And God wants to fulfill our desires. Last week I talked about Hebrews 4, verse 12 through 13, which is a powerful verse in the Bible. So often people look at Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 4, verse 12, and they think this is like God's threat to them where God says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpened two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and we are the one accountable. See, so often we use that against people like God's kind of mad at you. God's going to show people what you did wrong. But see, God wants to show us his first promise promises us he wants to show us our innermost thoughts and desires so he can meet those needs. That's a blessing from God that he would show us what we want. I used this illustration last week, and the reason I'm repeating this is because I got so many comments from people about this section of my message. So many people commented they were so relieved to hear that this verse is not about God's waiting there to punish you. Instead, God is waiting there to help you that God is there to rescue you, to deliver you, to set you free, and that God's heart and passion for each one of us is to show us kindness by showing us what we're really looking for. That's why I'm spending seven weeks on doing a series on desires so we can all understand the desires we have and how God wants to meet them. And last week I used this illustration and said, so, so some of us can relate to this illustration of you walk into a room and you forgot what you're looking for. And you stand there in the middle of the room, you're like, why did I come in here? That's what your life is like constantly if you don't know the desires that God has put you in your heart. It's like standing in a room wondering, why am I here? It's nothing but frustration. And God says, I don't want you to be frustrated. I want you to understand what you're looking for. See, another good illustration is like going to Target to get toothpaste. And you walk into Target, you get your cart, and you completely forget why you're there. So you walk through the store and you spend $85 on things you don't need. You buy a shirt, you buy some socks, buy some soap. And the whole time you're going, I don't know why I'm here. I came here from something I can't remember. So you do what I do. You go down every single aisle and you think I'm going to remember. And then eventually you leave and then you're driving home. You pull in the driveway like toothpaste. But you're not going to go back. But you bought $85 worth of stuff you really don't need. That's what it's like when you don't understand your desires. You keep looking to get things. You're buying things. You're getting things. And you're like, none of this is satisfying to me, but I'm going to keep accumulating things. And it gets so frustrating because you have garages and houses filled with things that you really don't want, but you haven't found what you're really looking for. And God comes in and says, I'm going to show you exactly what you're looking for. That's what I believe God's giving us for Christmas this year. He's going to show you what your desires are. He's going to show you what you deeply desire. But not only that, God's going to bring us on a journey of wholeness and holiness. I don't say that because I'm just trying to get you excited. I say that because that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible promises. 
that God's going to show us our desires because he wants to meet those desires. And when God meets those desires, it's a powerful. It's like Peter on the beach for breakfast. It's amazing when God steps in and meets your needs and you are not expecting that at all. That's my hope and my prayer and my expectation for our Christmas, that you are going to be shocked in the ways that God meets you in the next two months to meet your desires. See, in 2 Peter, two, in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, it says, by God's divine power, he's given us every single thing that we need to live a godly life. That's literal. God has given us every single thing that we need. We don't lack but we think we lack something. See, sometimes what we lack is not what we need. We lack access to what we need. We feel like there's a barrier between what God has for us and where we are. That's why this verse goes on to tell us the next thing that God's going to do. It says, We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. See, in other words, what this verse is saying is that we're going to have an experience with God that's going to help us understand the access we have to him. This verse isn't about you're going to come to have more knowledge and you're going to study harder, you're going to be more disciplined. All that is good, don't get me wrong. Study, knowledge, books, all good. But what this verse is saying, you're going to have an experience with God. You're going to have an encounter with God that's going to transform the way you look at things in the way you see things. And that's exactly what happened to Peter on that beach that one day. He had an encounter with Jesus that transformed his life to the point that he began to start transforming the life of other people. See, that encounter that Peter had with Jesus on the beach, it showed Peter what he was looking for. See, what Peter was looking for was acceptance. That's what Peter wanted more than anything. He wanted to be accepted. And when Peter got rejected, when Peter got scared, when he got insecure, suddenly he fumbled with his words and he denied Christ. But the whole time, Peter's looking to be accepted. Acceptance is actually a core need that each and every one of us have. We all love to be, we all want to be desired. We want to be received we want to be welcomed. We want to be embraced. We want to have friends. We want to have people want to participate in life with us. We want to be accepted as who we are and how we are. We don't want to perform to get acceptance. Dr. Dan Siegel, one of the famous uh, child psychiatrists, he says that in every child needs to be raised in an environment where they feel secure. And the only way a child will feel secure is if their parents or their caregivers show them, if their parents or caregivers, if they are seen, if they are soothed, if they feel safe. Every child needs to feel seen, soothed, and safe if they are going to feel secure or if they're going to feel accepted. And see, as we grow older, we have those same needs. We all want to be seen. We want someone to soothe us when we're hurt. We want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. That's exactly why we desire acceptance. God's plan was that we would find acceptance through our relationship with him. And that's a really good plan. But the problem is, so often we get rejected by other people. We don't feel safe with other people. So how we experience life actually influences our relationship with God. Dr. Mark Lasser, in his book on the seven desires, he says, when you feel chosen, I'm going to substitute the word accepted. 
When you feel accepted, you create messages about yourself that are congruent with God's truth about who you are. You are beautiful. You are special. You are beloved. When you're not accepted, you create distorted beliefs about yourself that, you are, that are not consistent with who God has created you to be. You start thinking, I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. I fall short. That's what happens when you live in a broken world. So often we grow up with messages that are totally incongruent with what God thinks about us. Instead of feeling loved and accepted and valued, we feel the exact opposite. We feel we're not good enough. We feel like we have to perform to fit in. And then we live in a culture who does say you need to perform to fit in. Our culture has different stereotypes or values. Say, okay, if you dress this way, you can fit in. Or if you have this kind of job, you can fit in. Or this kind of education, you can fit in. So our society comes with a bunch of stereotypes and norms that you have to fulfill in order to fit in. And on top of that, we come with gender expectations of guys do this, girls do that, and it gets all confusing of who's supposed to do what. And then at the end of the day, people start to feel like I can only be accepted if I fill in the blank if I conform to society standards. And nobody's accepted for who they are or how they are. That was never the way it was supposed to be. Scripture is pretty clear that the Bible says, in Romans 5, verse 8, it says, God showed great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet still sinners. That's the acceptance that God has for us. That while we were still sinners, he died for us that we couldn't receive the inheritance that he has for us. That's the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to perform to get God to love us. He loves us. He loves us so much that he wants to get us into the promised land. He loves us so much that he wants to see every need inside of us fulfilled. So for the next seven weeks, I want to look at core desires. I want to look at longings that we have, and I want to talk about how do you find those fulfilled. In the midst of it, I expect that God's going to show us what are we really looking for. And during this series, we are going to talk about things like accepting yourself. So often the enemy has done such a good job at discounting us that we start to believe every single lie that the enemy said about us, and we start coming into agreement with what he says. We have to learn to accept ourselves. We have to learn to forgive ourselves. Jay Stringer, in his book, I told you, my, one of my favorite books is the book Unwanted. He talks in there about unwanted sexual behavior. He said almost always unwanted sexual behavior is to reinforce to ourselves that we're not enough, we're not lovable, and we fall short. You think that's a crazy thing. Why would you do things like that? No, sometimes we participate in activities to remind ourselves how bad we are. And God needs to break us free from that. The only way we can get broken, set free from some of these is an encounter with Jesus. We also have to learn how do you live in healthy community. See, God designed us to be in a community where people would love us and support us, that they would reflect the truth of the gospel to us. We have to live in community if we expect that we're going to walk in wholeness and holiness. And we also have to learn how to meditate on God's word. See, this whole year we've been talking about spiritual gifts, and I love spiritual gifts. But spiritual gifts were never designed for a way to affirm ourselves, but spiritual gifts were designed to help us be imitators of Christ. That God's given us these gifts so we can imitate Christ to the rest of the world. For some of you, it might be really hard to experience the fullness of acceptance by Jesus. I think a lot of us really struggle with that. I know a big part of my, my Christian life was really believing that God really loved me. 
and that God actually forgave me for my sins. A lot of us struggle a lot with the assurance that God really loves us. And I think that was beautiful when Jesus met Peter on the beach. It was an interesting encounter that Jesus had with Peter that Peter was feeling pretty much at the end of himself. And Jesus pulled Peter aside and cooked him breakfast and said to Peter, do you love me? That's code word for Peter, do you really trust me? That's a good question. Do you really trust Jesus? Do you trust him with every area of your life? See, if we're all honest, we would probably say, yeah, there's some areas that I struggle with completely trusting you. And I think that's normal. I don't think we're going to have the full 100% trust of Jesus fully how we want it to be until the day we enter into heaven. A lot of us are going to struggle between now and eternity. We're going to get better. We're going to experience transformation. But there are times that we wonder, do we really trust Jesus? And I think that's a good question to leave this message today. Is if Jesus looked at you like he said to Peter, do you love me, how would you respond? But how would you respond if he said, do you trust me in every single area of my, your life? That's a question that exposes where you doubt. That exposes your lack of faith in some areas, but that's a positive thing. Because, because for Christmas, God wants to give us wholeness and holiness. He wants to do for us the things that we cannot do on our own. That's a good gift giver. The best gift that you can receive are the gifts that you don't know that you want. And once you get it, you're like, how did I live my whole life without that? Those are good gifts. That's what kind of a giver God is. He's looking at each one of us. He's looking at you online and he's saying, I know what you really want. I know what you want. I know what you need to feel satisfied. I know what you need to experience joy. I know what you need to experience wholeness. I know what you need to experience holiness. And I got that gift for you. In fact, you've always had the gift. But for Christmas this year, I'm going to help you get access to it. That's what we're doing. That's the next seven or eight weeks we're going to learn how to get access to every desire that we have in the core of our being. God's going to plow through some areas of our life and he's going to show us what exactly what we're looking for. This is a year to be satisfied. The last two years were years to be traumatized. There's no fun the last two years with COVID and Christmas. This is a year to be satisfied because the Bible says God wants to do that. All I'm doing is I'm just highlighting a couple of the promises in the Bible and say, hey, let's press into these this year. Let's really seek God and say, God, would you show me the desires that you promised to do in Hebrews 4? God, would you give me wholeness and holiness like you promised to do in Ephesians 1? That's all we're doing this year is highlighting what God already wants to do. That's what we're giving you. That's what you're getting for Christmas this year. That's your spoil alert. I already told you what you're getting for Christmas. So God, I thank you that you are the best gift giver. God, I thank you that you have these gifts for us, that you actually gave them to us when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And now, Lord, you're saying it's time to unwrap the gifts that you so desire. 
So God, I pray that you'd move in a powerful way through this church, through this community, through these people, through these families, and you'd reveal to us the deep and the longing desires that we have deep down inside of us. God, we pray, Lord, for deliverance for each and every one of us to walk in freedom from the enemy that would lie to us. God, may we leave behind us the lies of the enemy that says you're not good enough. You're never going to walk in the promised land. You're not good enough. God doesn't love you enough. God's ashamed of you. God, we declare today that the lies of the enemy are not going to prohibit us from walking in the fullness that you have for us. God, would you gird us up with strength? Would you gird us up with tenacity? Would you gird us with boldness to believe that the promises that you have for us in Hebrews 4 and Ephesians 1 are for us for now and for today? God, I thank you as we sang earlier, you are a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And you desire to give good gifts to us. And Lord, we say we want to receive those. God, we want to be whole. We want to be holy. We want to be blameless. We want to be set apart. We're sick of feeling like we don't measure up. We're sick of dealing with our unwanted behavior. So God, I pray that you'd rescue each and every one of us like you promised to do in Psalm 145. God, we just come here today thanking you that your word is true and it's alive and it's active and we thank you for the freedom that you're going to bring us into. We thank you for the deliverance and the expectation that we can have as we finish out this year and we anticipate even a new year. So God, thank you for being with us today. Would you bless us? Bless us as, Lord, we eat together. Bless our community that's at home. Lord, I pray that you just refresh Porta, refresh Sally from all their hard work. Thank you for all the finances that came in for them over the last 24 hours. And God, I pray that the finances for K Refuge would just multiply. Somehow or another, Lord, whatever they raise, it would just even double so they would just be able to do even more work. God, thank you that you are the good gift giver. Thank you, good gift giver. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.